Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. Gear up with your host, Captain Chris Bush, a trophy trout purist, leader and educator within the fishing community, as he talks about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you back to the Speckled Truth Podcast. Captain Chris here, joined by Steve Strider. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Chris. How about you? Good, man. So, for those who don't know, Steve has actually been a follower of the page and a follower of Speckled Truth for a pretty long while, but through the course of kind of when we started talking, uh, understanding that Mr. Steve is pretty much a big lake guru in, in in terms of the Calcasieu area. And so, Steve, if you can, go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, I fish big lake 25 plus years, and I'd say probably the last 23 years of that, I've primarily targeted big fish. You know, it's kind of an obsession of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I throw artificials only, don't mess with no live bait. And we had some really good years in the late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, not so much the last couple of years. It's been yeah. kind of slow on the big fish. Uh, I like to wade fish a whole bunch. Started doing that probably in 1999, got into it and got addicted to it pretty good. And that's pretty much what I like to do. Now are you from Lake Charles? I mean, are you from that area? I'm from, a little town just kind of south of Sulphur, uh, okay. Carlos, Carlos, Louisiana. Okay. Uh, just a little bit north of the lake there. And you kind of yeah. in between, and you kind of in between Sabine Lake too. So that, that's not out too far away for me to go to and venture off into. Yeah. No. So for folks who kind of tuning in, so. Steve, we were talking and again, kind of a big trout specialist, but through the course of kind of our dialogue back and forth, and I I kind of alluded to it right when we started the show is this guy's like a big lake guru. But aside from that, man, he has so many stories and listening to his stories uh, from big lake really through an era that was pretty remarkable. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here later in the show, but, uh, the title of this podcast is the tire 10 in the big and big lake, uh, <laughs> in the big lake chronicles. Right. And so we want to talk, we want to talk about some of these, uh, stories. I want to hear some of these stories and I want our listeners to hear kind of some of these stories. And we're going to dive a little bit into the top 10 trout in the state and this, that, and the other thing, but as well as the story of the tire 10, which is awesome. But, um, uh, so how'd you get into big trout fishing? I mean, was that something you've always kind of been into? Well, <clears throat> I started throwing artificial lures probably in 1995 and had never caught any trout to any size at that point. Just, you know, you catch a few here and there back when we were soaking bait. Well, this, we got into a bunch of fish in the surf that summer and I caught, a bunch of my personal best, you know, mm-hmm. like seven pound, uh, several fives and sixes and 
multiple, you know, fours, which at that time, four pound trout was big, but the icon yep. was a seven pounder, you know, and I, I got that and lost some really big fish, which, you know, that just gives you the itch to keep, keep trying to catch one. Absolutely. And, you know, it's all on, all on artificials, mostly on jigs, some on the old 51, 52 and mirror lures. And from there, it's like, I got the, I got the itch to do it. And it's like, went through the number phases where you go catch limits back when the limit was 25, you go catch limits of trout. Well, that stuff got old, but you, you're always looking to beat that personal best. And it, and that gives you the drive to keep, to keep going after them. Yeah. And And so, no, go ahead, sir. I'm sorry. It it never ends. Not until you beat the, the record that Leon Mott set in 1950. <laughs> no kid. Well, yeah, right. Locally. So for those who don't know, he currently owns the state record at a 12.38 pound fish, um, supposedly caught in Lake Hermitage, Louisiana. Obviously there is a tremendous amount of, uh, conversation outside right in, in dispute, <laughs> you know, and they, everybody says it's kind of like here, right. Where in Texas, where Jim Wallace, quote unquote, owns a state record. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like in in back home in Louisiana, where Kenny Krieger, who has a number two fish in a state, uh, he truly has like the quote unquote, like, you know, state record per se. But um, that's interesting because talking with Ken, or I'm sorry, Mr. Keith Nuttall from Virginia, you know, this is a guy, and I asked him straight up, man, straight up. This is a dude who's got over 25 plus 30 inch fish and he's got, you know, multiple double digits and, and this, that, and the other thing. And, and yet he still gets up with the drive. He go, he still gets up with the passion. And I'm like, dude, what, like, what do you, what motivates you? Like you've done it all. You're a legend locally. You've pretty much achieved every angling accolade. You've been the conservationist of the year. You have double digit, you have two dozen fish over 30 inches. Like what can you, what keeps you driving, right? To go and continue to pursue these fish. And he's like, just to see that next top water, like explode, you know, he's like, it's just a drug. It's an addiction. So it's interesting to hear you say like, you know, a four to a seven to nine or whatever it is to kind of keep you motivated. Right. Right. Well, after, after you catch a seven pounder, then, you know, your next goal, you're shooting for shooting for an eight and you're shooting for a nine. And, you know, the, the ultimate goal in my book is always truly after I got into the, got the bug for catching big fish, the ultimate goal was to catch a double digit. Mm-hmm. And have you done that? I have the tire 10 was, uh, you know, I didn't weigh her, but I know I'll take it to the grave that I know that trout was over 10 pounds. Cool. How uh, many, so is that, is that your only fish over, over, uh, 10? It is the only one that I've, mm-hmm that I've caught now I've, I've hooked, I've hooked several more that <laughs> that one that I'm pretty sure were probably double digit fish. Also, I've seen several double digit fish caught on trips. Which we'll talk about. Yep. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're special fish. I mean, you don't, you don't have a whole bunch of them out there and for one to reach yeah. that, that size. And I'm not sure how old they would be, but that's a, for our part, that's a, spectacular trout to get one that no big. absolutely 
No, for sure. Well, I mean, the southwest side of the state, that's something that's always been an anomaly to me because growing up on the southeast side of the state, New Orleans, I mean, we marveled at the size of the trout in Big Lake. I mean, that was the mecca that everybody wanted to go to and fish and and target those big fish. And then, yeah, again, in the 90s, you're seeing, you know, double digits. It was basically Pontchartrain and Calcasieu kind of basically sparring each other, right? I mean, they were like, you catch a 10, I'll catch a 10. Boom, 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 boom. And like that time was crazy. So um, it's just, it's interesting. Now, you kind of, I would, I don't know if it, it, the word pioneered, but uh, definitely I think on the forefront of one of those guys that was actually started wade fishing Big Lake. Is that true? Correct. I started wading in 99. And I know there were some other people that probably came before me, but. I did it. I was one of the first ones, I'm pretty sure, uh, mm-hmm. lo- locally doing it. Yeah. And now you fish with like Bruce Ball and I mean, talking with you a little bit, I mean, you have some, you keep pretty good company, I guess. Yes. My point. Yeah. Bruce is a good friend of mine and respect the man a whole bunch. Yeah. He's caught a lot of big fish. Oh, good God. Yeah. Right. So, so how'd you get into wade fishing? Like what, what was like that thought process back then? Well, I had an uncle of mine came down to fish with me and he was from Houston. So he mm-hmm. naturally fished the Galveston and Matagorda complexes and they wade fished. Well, I had the mentality most people over here had at the time was why would I want to get out of a perfectly dry boat to go get in the water and catch a fish when I can catch him out of a boat. Well, then my uncle explained to me after I finally brought him to a place, you know, he said, uh, you know, the wind's not going to affect you much. He said, you're, you don't have no hull slap. You can move as fast or as slow as you want. You're lower to the water to where you control your bait a lot better. Uh, Plus you can, just stand there. You're not going to spook the fish. You know, you're not, you're not casting a, a shadow and clearer water and whatnot. And so I got out of the boat with him one morning and we went wait, made a little wade over by an area that we call the steam engine. And although it wasn't a great success, you know, my uncle did hook a nice trout that broke his line that morning, but I, it got the gears turning and I went out another day with uh, some buddies of mine and we wound up catching, you know, a couple seven pounders and some other solid fish. And meanwhile, we're watching the boats out there in front of us drifting around and they're not catching nothing. I kind of put two and two together and realized that, you know, those guys were probably spooking fish and we weren't spooking fish and actually catching them. That That's a question that I get, you know, a lot is, on a Tom Rowland podcast and uh, the the Salt Strong podcast that I did was like, why do people like why is wade fishing the way to fish in Texas? And I mean, you just described it eloquently. You know, it's it, with regards to to stealth, fishability, speed, approach. You know, all these different things. You know, and it and it does. It's it's proven. You know, oh, it's it's in shallow water. I mean, if you're fishing deeper reefs and stuff. You know, it's not, it's not as critical, obviously. I mean, you couldn't really wait a deep, deep reef, but like shallow water, 
that sound travels so much. I mean, people don't realize, you know, I've watched like say a, a day when it's real calm out there or whatever, if a boat comes by, shuts down or somebody makes a sudden noise, you got a bunch of mullet rafted up on a flat and those, and that boat's a long ways from, you know, they'll, they'll spook, you know, I mean, those big trout, they're going to do the same thing. So anything that you can do to minimize noise and pressure is going to allow you to have a, a better opportunity at catching that bigger fish. And that's, you know, one of the things that got me into wading, you know, I started, whenever I started doing it, I started the number of bigger fish that I started catching started mm-hmm. going up and, you know, on those windy days where you couldn't really drift a flat because your boat would be, you know, I fished out of a smaller aluminum boat. So at the time, so your boat would go sailing across the flat you're not, you're passing, you're blowing by so many fish and spooking a lot of fish also in the process. And whenever I started getting out of the boat on those windy days, I'd go get on the flat and just take my time, you know, and, and pick it apart. And you'd catch a whole lot of fish that you normally would have blown by in a boat. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I, I cannot agree more, especially early fall for me. I found a group of fish that was honestly, it was like a hundred yard stretch. They were, they were pinned up on this like little tabletop. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. And it, it took me a hot minute to kind of figure out what was going on. A couple of trips to kind of figure that out. But it was yeah. like this one little area that held it, man. And, and like, it was just a different class of fish. Now there were fish up and down this, this stretch, but in this one little tabletop it was crazy there was just a different caliber of fish fish 26 27 above you know i I think i caught like three or four citations off that one little spot but the game was patience and it took literally fishing that little 100 150 yard stretch for like hours four five hours just really methodically picking it apart i mean moving down the flat with purpose fishing top to bottom in terms of like column and really trying to, cause I mean, I knew I could go and and catch numbers of fish, but I wanted to target those bigger fish Mm -hmm. and you go, I'd go from like catching them on a, on a storm jointed thunder stick, right. Getting a really big profile bait, a lot of action. And then all of a sudden you'd see them kind of respond to that caught one or two. And all of a sudden they would kind of peel off of that. And then, uh, I'd, I'd kind of downsize and I'd go to like a double D and then I'd, I'd catch one or two off of that. But I mean, this is over the course of hours, but you could stay on these fish by changing tactics, but never really moving. I mean, these fish were just kind of there. And so it was really interesting to me how now it's not to say that every spot's that way, but they have these little magical areas where some, <laughs> something about them right has this different yeah. caliber of fish and you just got to do it and the only way to do that honestly is literally getting waiting. out the boat taking time waiting and then when you recognize it it's pretty interesting because when you recognize it, it it's awesome because you're like wow like i, I kind of figured this out you know but uh i know wayne davis my my good friend hopefully listens to this glenn ellis fished with captain wayne down in mansfield and Wayne was talking to me about when he caught this fish before it actually got on the cover of Texas Parks and Wildlife. 
I'm sorry, Texas Saltwater Fishing Magazine. Um, and it was a beautiful fish, 32 inch fish, almost 11 pounds. And what he was explaining, he's like, dude, we fit like he Glenn's a kind of guy who will fish and understands the game. And he's like, dude, we fished this 200 yard stretch for eight hours for almost two straight days. We knew they were there. And he's just like, we grinded and grinded. Finally it happened, you know? And so, but that's the name of the game sometimes. And again, you kind of just do that via wade fishing, you know, and that's the cool part about it. Right. And that's, I've got a spot that I, that I fish. It's exactly what you're, what you're talking about. You know, you find those little, those little holes like that where you may have a ridge underwater or a gut or, or some small difference. And I found a spot one, one day years ago and man, the number of big fish that I caught out of that place was unbelievable. I mean, a lot oh, of, yeah. a lot, a lot of, like, I think it took literally two years to catch a trout under five pounds out of there. Now, <laughs> no, it would, yeah. you would go stand there and I mean, you, you'd get there and spend, you know, eight, 10 hours a day. I mean, you'd stand in the same, when we figured out the, the topography of the bottom and what we had in front of us, you know, we stay, you'd stand in that one spot and just throw and throw and throw until you'd go walk back to the boat and go get you a, a sip of water or whatever and then yeah. a snack. And then you go back out and do the same thing. But, you know, you might go in there one, one day and catch one or two or some days you have a banner day with, with a couple people and you'd catch 20 or 30 fish. I mean, but they were all, they were all clones. I mean, anywhere from, I'd say five, you know, a five pound fish to, you know, a low nine class fish, you know, but it was just unbelievable. And you got it on big lake, right? For I did. a number of years. I did. For so 15 I mean, you years. spoke to your guiding experience, right? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, 15 years, but the, the difference between guiding and, and fishing for big fish is totally different because a lot of times you don't have the customers to go sit there and go grind out a bunch of fish, bigger fish. Uh, sometimes, you know, you get a lot of people that want to just go catch numbers of fish and you get the ones, you know, I dreaded throwing live bait. That was my weakest, weakest game and, and all of that. But, uh, you had people want to go throw live shrimp and just catch a, a limit of fish or catch redfish or whatever. Um, if you, ha- if I did have the customers that wanted to go tangle with big fish and were patient, that was always, you know, my game, what I wanted to do. That's gotta uh, be your favorite guide trip, right? I mean, you get a guy who's like, Hey, I, I just want to catch a big fish. Like, I don't care about numbers. I, I don't even care oh, to that- keep fish. Like I'm a target. <laughs> big that bite was, you're probably like oh. <laughs> yep that was that was that was a guy that i wanted uh yeah but i but I, you had to change game tactics so much you know because i i fished big fish for so long that when i started guiding i had to change gears and go back to to catching numbers of course yeah. on my of course when i'd go fishing and i wasn't guiding you know i was looking for big ones i mean that's that's just always been the hunt that i've been in and uh you kind of a lot of good days when I'd love to have been standing waist deep in the water, you know, I was standing on the front deck of a boat, uh, chasing a set of birds, 
or something like that. <laughs> you know? or, or, it sounds terrible. It really does. Uh, or, or chasing redfish, right? Cause clients want to, you know, they want to oh, yeah. feel the tug. Yeah. Oh my God. That, that's uh, devastating. I, I hate those unless they're, in a, unless they're in about two foot of water or less. I don't want to, I don't even want to see a redfish. But see, man, that's why, why we get along. Right. And just because uh, I just, I, I don't know. It's something about redfish, man. It just doesn't do anything for me, but oh, and, they'll, uh, tear, they're tell, they'll, tear anyway. corky, they'll tell your corkies up for you is what they'll yeah, do. Yeah, they're really good at doing it, right? Um, but <laughs> all right. So let, let's, let's get, cause we could make a whole show about bash and redfish and I don't want to do that, but uh, I know, right? let's talk about, uh, that's the big lake chronicles, right? So um, we were kind of talking through the course of kind of, uh, texting back and forth and, and through the course of kind of our friendship and stuff like that, just some of the different things. But I wanted to kind of run through the top 10 trout of the state because it kind of feeds into one of the, the big late chronicle stories that I want to go. So the first is, uh, yeah, Mr. Leon with the, the, the 1238 out of Lake Hermitage. Now that's my home waters, more or less Port Sulphur, Myrtle Grove, Lake Hermitage. Mm-hmm. I would be having fished that for 20 years. I'd probably be pretty shocked that a 12 pound fish, let alone a 12 and a half pound fish would come out of there. I'd be more shocked that a six pound fish would come out of that area. Right. I mean, it's just, uh, it's not a very big producer of very large fish. Now I've caught some good fish out of there, but more so towards the empire Buras area versus the actual Myrtle Grove Lake Hermitage. Anyway, 1238, he owns the actual state record. So the next is Mr. Kenny Krieger. We talked to Doc Bob Weiss. He was on a podcast. Um, knows him very well, fish with him quite often, remembers that day, recounted that day, the 1199. Uh, so that's a number two trout in the state. The number three trout in the state, he also reflected on because that also came out of the Pontchartrain Basin. Uh, so Doc Bob Weiss told us that story about uh, Mr. Jason Truye. And uh, him registering that eleven two four. Now we start seeing. Now that was in those. Both of those fish were caught in two, in nineteen ninety nine. In mm-hmm. two thousand and two, Tim Mahoney uh, caught an eleven one six out of Calcasieu. So you under you remember that day, or or you recall that fish? That was, is that right? He caught that fish with uh, Captain Steve Bono. I remember, I remember when they, they caught that one. That was, that was a, a giant. Yeah. Now that's the biggest fish out of Calcasieu ever registered, right? That's registered. I've, I've heard stories, uh, of some of the other Texas folks that were coming over wading that had allegedly caught some fish that were, were over 11 pounds, you know, but they just caught them and turned them loose. I'd like to take a small break to sincerely thank our podcast sponsors. As you know, we're a brand about sharing the passion and pursuit of trophy speckled trout, as well as our conservation. Fortunately for us, Mirror Lore, Texas Custom Lures, and the original Custom Corky support that same passion, which is evident through the support of this podcast. Simply put, without these brands, none of this would be possible. And we're incredibly appreciative, and we hope you are too. Now, let's get back to the discussion. All right, so the number five trout in the state is Mr. Kevin Galley. 
1997, a 10.81 pound fish. Do you remember that fish at all? I do remember that fish being caught. Uh, I don't remember what location it was caught, but I remember the, I remember the, the talk around town whenever that one was caught. Now, in 1970, number six fish was Randolph Green out of the Sandy Point Rigs, kind of where I'm uh, fishing out of down there and uh, towards the Delta. And then uh, number seven trout in the state, Mr. Barry Terrell uh, from Calcasieu in 2004. So we're starting to see kind of that early 2000s, that 99 mm-hmm. to early 2000s kind of starting to go tit for tat for Calcasieu and Pontchartrain. So do you remember that fish at all? I do remember that fish being caught. Uh, don't remember it getting the. Don't remember the hype as much as really? the gal as as much as the galley fish. The galley fish was, you know, it 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 went around a lot more, or so. Which is in- that's interesting because I mean that came around what I'm um, looking at it. So that would have been seven years later. Mm-hmm. You know, you're starting to see an upper, upper 10 fish pushing 11 pounds, getting registered number seven trout in the state. And then we get to number eight, the number eight it. trout in the state. That's Mr. Jason Ellender. I'll witness and, that uh, one. <laughs> 10, six, five. So, uh, talk, so that came out of Sabine. Is that right? That's correct. All right. So apparently you have firsthand account of this entire thing because, the reason I say that when you sent me the pictures as we're talking about like big fish, mm-hmm. dude, I'm again, I'm a super, I'm a trout nerd, man. Like I know my trout history. And so when I saw that picture, I'm like, who's, what's that guy's name, man? Like that was, that was like the number six or number seven trout in the state. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, nah, his name is Jason Ellender. I'm like, that's it. And I'm like, yeah, he's got like one of the top 10 trout in the state. And then so you're like, yeah. And sure enough, it was a couple pictures afterwards, both you and him. And actually, uh, y'all had some really cool pictures. I might actually have to make that the thumbnail to this, uh, to this podcast recording. <laughs> so tell us the story about this, uh, 10 pound, uh, or 10 and a half pound, 10, six, five, uh, coming out of Sabine. All right. Well, uh, Jason and I worked together at, uh, one of the local refineries and he and I had started fishing together uh, several years before that, before he'd caught that fish and I got him into wade fishing and, you know, he caught up until that point, he'd caught up to seven pound class fish. He'd never broke out eight pound, you know, never broke eight pounds. Well, one morning we were going to go fishing in big lake. And I was like, you know, I said, let's just go over to, over to, uh, Sabine one of my good buddies that I fish and hunt with a bunch, Captain Robbie Trahan from over in Sabine. Robbie had kind of thrown thrown us a bone out there that they were catching some good fish. So we we went on ahead and went, just kept on going to Sabine, passed up Big Lake. And on the way down there, Jason was telling me, he's like, well, he said, you know, he said, if I catch an eight pounder, he said, I think I'm going to get it mounted. And I was like, well, that's cool. I said, that's a great fish, you know. So we get out there and it's one of those mornings that, you know, all the stars and the moon aligned and everything. And the, the particular flat that we were wading, man, the fish were slicking like crazy that morning. Uh, I don't know how many fish over five pounds we caught and released. 
uh, some of them we had a kill that they got gill hooked and, mm-hmm. but I remember Jason's fish. They, I remember they had two slicks had popped out in front of us. And I told him, I said, you go, I said, you wait over to that one. I'm gonna wait over to this one. Well, I throw out there and I catch one about six pounds, you know, and I'm fighting and I look over and I, I heard the fish hit his bait. He's throwing a pink and chrome super spook. I heard the fish hit it and I looked over and just saw the, the fish pushing awake, running dead away from him, hit the bait head first, and it, mm-hmm. you know, just eating his drag up. And I just kind of laughed. I said, man, I said, you better keep a loose drag. I said, that's a big fish you got. Well, I fought my fish, got it, you know, weighed it and everything, let it go. And I waited back over next to him. So I wouldn't get caught in a, a yeah, line. Yeah. Yeah, get caught in the line with it swinging around. So he gets the fish up, and I I reach down to grab her. And when I grabbed her behind the gills on the back of the head, I couldn't hardly get my hand around her. And so right. I just I, I let her I let her go because she was real, still pretty green. But then she come back, and I knew it was I knew it was over eight pounds for sure, you know. And yeah. so he pulled her back around, and I grabbed his leader. And I, I did, I had my boga ready and whenever I broke her head out of the water, I just jammed a boga in her mouth real quick, hooked her up. And I was like, well, so here's your big one, buddy. And, uh, yeah. I, picked it, I picked it up and I saw 11 bottom out of the boga and I just kind of eased her back in the water. And I, I said, well, I said, she's somewhere between 10 and a half and 11. And he was shocked. He thought I was pulling his leg. I said, I can't, Said you're taller than me. I said I left you have the honors of uh, reading it. And he took the boga and picked her up, and he's like, "Man, she's between ten and a half and ten and three quarters." And I was like, "Man, I said congratulations." I said you just smoked me on on. Uh, yeah. I said, <laughs> I said, I said that's a heck of a fish. And he's like, "Well, I'm gonna get her mounted." And I said, "Well, I said before you get her mounted, you might want to go bring her in a." So you get her certified in a record book. I'm pretty sure she's going to make the top 10. And so we fished for about 30, 40 more minutes. And then I could tell he was, he was ready to go. And yeah. I said, well, I said, you about ready to go. He said, oh yeah. Yeah. Let's go. So we, so we left and you know, he had that fish when we got back to the boat and he had that thing tied in a knot on that stringer. It wasn't getting away. And <laughs> And so we, we took some cool pictures and whatnot and went on the end, went to Cajun Fast Mart, little, uh, one of the local stores that used to be a CCA Waymaster. Went over there, got it, weighed it and everything. And uh, he went through all the process and got it certified. And wound up being the eighth biggest trout in the state. That's crazy. Like, I mean, was he, it's kind of hard to explain, man. When I caught my 11 and in the 10, it, it was almost like I went numb. You know, it was like, what was his reaction? Yeah. It's like a dream almost. Uh, I was like, just like in shock. I mean, I was looking at the fish and I just didn't know what to do. You know, I mean, <laughs> like I just, mind went blank. Uh, you, you know, you just stammering, you're looking, you're like, what? And then, <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you pull that bogan and you see it bouncing between that 10 and, and 11 area, you know, you start to kind of really go, holy crap, like this, this just got real, but you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I cannot even, uh, you know, that 
Well, one, I feel bad for your buddy, man, giving the intel. You know, hey, how'd y'all do today? Y'all, y'all did pretty good. Yeah, we we we, could, we suck in a number eight in the state. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah, it was that that morning was crazy though. I mean, we we caught a lot of we let go a lot of five and six pound fish that day, and I mean, it's just one of those days. I mean, just you watching bait get destroyed, schools of mullet get destroyed. The fish were there and they stayed. We caught a lot of fish off that flat the rest of that spring. Not, of course, no more, no more double digit fish, but you know, we had a lot of good solid fish that year. And that was in March of 13. Do y'all remember? I mean, I haven't gone back to take a look, but in terms of like the day, I mean, was that around a new or a full moon? I don't recall the moon. I just remember it was opening day of Turkey season. And I, I remember thinking looking at the the weather forecast and i was like i i'm not gonna go turkey hunt i said let's go fishing okay and, yeah because you're and, a big yeah getting into it more and more and more every year still learning i got you yeah i mean um wind i mean was a windy day was a pretty calm day man i remember the wind was at our back because we were wading wading down the flat from north to south and it seemed like we had kind of a light north northeast wind is what we had and the conditions that for that particular time of the year we we're still in a pretty pretty much a drought phase the water was super salty over in sabine and just uh, don't remember what the moon phase was but that fish he had was a she was fat 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 fish well the cool thing about it i mean that picture the one that you shared it's a stringer shot, right? And you're, you have kind of that stringer over your shoulder and obviously you can tell those fish. I mean, the other, let me, the, uh, the quote unquote other fish in a stringer, they ain't no slouches. And yet you throw that puppy right next to him. I mean, (laughs) she, yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, Yeah. I don't, I'm debating on kind of what picture to use kind of maybe as a thumbnail, you know, but I think that one's pretty solid just because, um, man, the size of that fish is just remarkable, you know, and, um, I, I can empathize cause you know, I mean, I've been there, but on the same, and I know you have as well, but I mean, it's just the numb, the numbness of that, of the situation, you know, and remembering like literally, like you can recall like kind of every single moment of that, you know, and how that fish ate, you mm-hmm. know, her pushing that big wake and, and, and that's a thing that I try to convey to people, whether they're listening through writing, through talking, et cetera, is that dude, that's why we target these big fish because they leave these lasting impressions. Oh yeah. That never leave your mind. I mean, they're like the PTSD of the fishing world. I mean, it, it, if you see a person who's a trout fisherman, who's who targets these big fish endlessly and he gets caught in a trance, it's probably because he, like, if you ask him that question, like, hey, tell us about your biggest fish. I mean, they literally kind of start to glaze over and just, <laughs> you can tell they're like there. And so never in my life though, you know, when I've, and I, I mean, there are some instances where I've gone with like really close friends and my dad and stuff like that, where I've caught numbers of fish and that was just the best you know, and it, and it left such a lasting impression, but these big fish, man, I mean, you know, every intricacy about 
the 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 day, the bite, the fight, and in the release, if that's the case, or in this particular instance, weighing it for a number eight fish in the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had we had a day where let's see, several years later, Jason and I were fishing together, and the wind was. We had a front come through, and I, everything was blown out. We found this one pocket of clean water. And it was in, in, a, in a spot that we normally catch some pretty good fish at. And we went in there and water clarity was probably about six to eight inches at best. It's like, well, I mean, this is what we got. I mean, let's hop out and see what we can do with it. And first fish I caught was six and a half. Caught another one, seven. And then I hooked one that reminded me so much of his fish uh she come up and hit the hit a pink and gold super spook head on and i didn't stop that fish till i was in my mono backing uh jeez she she dumped a reel and you know i was basically trying to trying to walk forward to catch up with her and i got her turned and she started making a huge swinging arc out across this the flat and this particular flat's got a bunch of big giant oysters that come up off the bottom and one of them swings she caught one of those oysters and broke broke me off but i bet the house that that one was a double digit fish Um, i know that week i caught two of them over nine and they didn't they didn't put the fight up that that fish put and i i saw her her black back when she when she breached the water on that on that super spook and just talk about leaving lasting memories i mean i'm sure people in lake charles could hear me holler and i was so mad when that fish broke the line <laughs> oh man well i just posted a picture of two megabass vision 110s jerk baits that i've been using uh started really using this year in one they're the most expensive jerk baits on the Saw market they're 20 <laughs> yeah right they're 25 bucks a freaking piece things and and i mean i'm cool with it again i always ask people i'm like hey would you pay 25 dollars to hold a, a giant trout if the answer is yes then buy the lure right yep. and so of course i'll do whatever i can to kind of give myself the upper edge anyway um yeah similar situation man you know this is actually the week of thanksgiving this this past year uh stuck mm-hmm. a really big fish actually came up next to me i was going to go ahead and land her there uh, she was green again. Remember the fight very, very vividly where again, just a super long stretch of drag, uh, just pulling, finally get her next to me. She surfaces and I have one of those forever last, like waiting live well nets, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I have right. one for gut hooked fish. And then I also carry my tripod stand because I try to take, I keep my little tripod stand in that cause it's too cumbersome in my weight jacket and this, that, and the other thing. And so Mm-hmm. What I do is uh, I try to get all the content I can for Louisiana sportsmen and, and things of that nature. But anyway, fish comes up. All of a sudden, she beelines it right underneath that thing. So I'm trying to trace around that uh, live well bag. And sure as shit, man, she pops me off. And I'm I'm crying because, one, it was a huge fish. Because looking back, I caught that 10 in, in the month of December. And reflecting mm-hmm. back on that fish in November, I'm like, man, I was a pretty solid, I was a pretty similar class of fish. I mean, it was definitely a really good one. Um, right. 
but I didn't know whether to freaking cry about losing a damn fish or losing a $25 jerk bait. Oh, and then the fact that they were both at the same time, I was, it was not a fun ride home, man. But it, I don't know. It, again, it goes back to, man, they just leave such lasting impressions. Man, um, they, and that's why, right? They had they had a fish that, that same week that we were catching those big ones uh, when I broke that big one off. One of the coolest probably one of the coolest fish I've ever caught. I mean, she was a nine pounder, but throwing a clown colored super spook. And I was kind of a low guy that day. I hadn't caught, caught much. My Jason and another partner of ours that fishes with us, they were kind of whipping up on me a little bit numbers, which I don't care about the numbers that much. I just, you know, I'm looking for the size. I finally got a big bite and I watched her come up. She was probably, 10 yards from me, I watched her come up and hit the bait and she just had it in her mouth. Just like when she went back down, she, she started swimming straight at me. Like she wasn't even hooked. And I watched her, I watched her swim right next to me with that super spook swam six feet from me. And I'm, and she doesn't even know she's hooked. And I was like, this is fixing to get wild. The second she passes (laughs) me up. And man, when she passed me up and I pulled back on that rod and put some pressure on her, that big girl went crazy and wound up, she was right at nine pounds on the nose on the boga, but that was cool to watch that fish come up, eat the bait. And I watched her swim right by me, not even knowing that she had a hooks in her mouth. And you know, just, you just don't forget that, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, especially that. I, I mean, one that's uh one to have the patience i guess and the wherewithal to not set the hook and just kind of take in that that visual right and then knowing right. yeah because once you do set that hook man you know it's about to get real yes <laughs> yeah real real and then i'm actually shocked you caught that you landed that fish you know that being such close quarters and and uh, uh at least in it right so yeah but, it was it was crazy all right, so the tire ten. The tire so we, ten. We've talked, yeah, we've talked about <laughs> big fish to this point. So tell us about the infamous tire ten. Well, all of my buddies that that have fished big fish with me, they know about the legend of the tire ten. The tire ten was caught on April Fool's Day of two thousand and two. I mean, if you could ever imagine calling your buddy and telling them that you let go a 10 pound fish on April fool's day. They're going to think you're joking. Well, anyway, I'd gone after work one day, my little aluminum boat and all I brought with me was a handful of super spooks. And that's about all I had with me. And I had the spare tire for the boat trailer laid on the floor of the boat, go out there and, uh, fished one spot, didn't catch nothing, go to another spot make a drift and I catch, you know, fish, I figure it's probably five, five pound class fish. Then a little bit later, I missed one that was looked huge, but you know, it's still a miss. You don't really know how big they are. Then I caught another one. I figure it's probably about a seven pounder. And then right at dark, I was throwing a, one of the old black FLW super spooks that, uh, black silver scale with red eyes. And I couldn't see the bait, you know, it was getting dark, but you could hear it. I heard a fish come up and blow on it once. And I was like, well, 
uh, you know, missed it. And I twitched it two more times and she come up and popped it. And I thought it was a redfish the way it was fighting. It just, you know, it fought hard. And I got like it up. Bulldog. Oh, it just pulling, you know, it, it didn't streak as much as what a big trout usually does. It just felt like a redfish. And I get it up and I net it and I'm thinking I'm fixing to see big scales and I laid it down on the floor of the boat and to my surprise it was a trout. And it was a fat trout. Well, I unhooked the fish and I'm I'm looking, I know it's the biggest trout I've ever caught in my life. You know, at that point in my my career, you know, I'd about eight and a half pounds about the biggest I'd caught. And uh and so I'm looking at it and I'm wondering, I'm like, man, I don't have nothing to measure it with. You know, I know she's big. So I laid her on the tire. And just to give you an example of how big this fish was, when I laid her down on the on the tire, you know, she her belly when it flattened out, you know, it was there wasn't a whole lot of that rim showing. I oh mean, it was God. like a like a 13 inch rim tire, you know. She just when yeah. she flattened out, she she covered up a big portion of it. So I'm looking at it and I was like, well, you know, I don't have nothing to keep her in. I was always going to mount the first nine pound trout I ever caught. And I didn't have nothing to put the fish in. So I was like, well, shoot, you know what? She's healthy. Let me see. Let me see how long she is. I'll get a, I'll get an idea. So I figured the, out, the outside diameter of the tire, I figured was probably 22 inches is what I was guessing. Well, the fish hung over a good six to six and a half inches outside the tire. And I was like, well, the yeah. fish is 28 to 28 and a half. And man, this fish is fatter than anything I've ever seen. I said, you know what? I'm going to just let her go. And so, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill her. So I gave her a big old kiss on top of the head and put her back in the lake and called her a nine pounder. I was like, well, you know, that, that fish, you know, would probably go nine pounds, you know, considering how fat she was. And I got home and I took a tape measure out and I missed my mark by two inches. That tire was 24 inches outside diameter. So they put that oh fish, I put her at 30 to 30 and a half inches long and super, super fat. So I know she, like I say, I know she was over 10, but how much we'll never know. The tire 10, man. So, I mean, what were your thoughts there? I mean, when you finally, when you were measuring, were you just kind of reflecting back and like, oh my gosh, well, that why didn't goes I back, fish? Goes back, goes back to what you said. I felt numb. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I mean, I just sat there. I remember sitting, I was, I was still living at, still living at home at that time. I had, uh, I had just got out of college or was just fixing a, yeah, I just got out of college. And I remember uh, I was sitting there on the driveway with my legs crossed. My mom come driving home from work or whatever. And she's like, what's the matter with you? And I said, well, I said, I just caught the biggest trout of my life. I said, probably caught the biggest trout that I'll ever catch in my life. And didn't realize it. And I let it go. <laughs> I mean, I was, man, that, that every April Fool's Day, I get haunted by that. By that evening. Yeah. <laughs> so, man, it's crazy because on April Fool's this year, a couple days ago, right? Colton Mitchell, good friend of mine, we were talking the night before, and um, I I just recently posted about it actually on a page 30 and 10. 
And so, but his April Fool's was a damn good one and it was very similar to yours. And so we're talking the night before and it was one of those things where all these big fish has just always perpetually eluded him. You know, I mean, he's been around people who've caught him. He's been waiting right next to him and somebody catches a, a 30 and a half or, you know, mm-hmm. a good pushing 10 or, or something like that. And so he's like, damn, man. He's like, and I've hooked a few. I just have never been able to execute. And so anyway, he, uh, we get done talking and he, he's a huge spook. He's actually a spook kind of one knocker guy and he throws those predominantly as well. And so he's like, you know what, man, I'm going to just go try in the morning and, uh, I'll be getting ready to close in the house. And so I'll just go kind of wait a little bit and I'll let you know kind of what the water levels look like in case you can come. Cause I'm, I'm mm-hmm. restricted. I can't even go to the coast right now because of the coronavirus and things of that nature. And so, right. so anyway, dude, like the next morning, he, uh, he messages me. It, it was seven twenty eight. Never forget it. And he go and all the text read was I did it. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And I'm like, all right, it's April fool's day. By this point, my wife had already put Vaseline on my truck door. Uh, <laughs> the kids had already, um, taped the, the sprayer on a freaking faucet in the scent in the kitchen. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, this is another April fool's joke, you know? So, uh, sure enough, man, I'm like, call me when you, when you can. And like, about five or six minutes later, you know, he shoots me a couple of pictures and he's got the, he's got a video of the Boga bouncing and, you know, cause his, his better half, uh, Kim, she was right next to him and actually taking the pictures and bro, he like talking with him. Again, it goes back to what we we're talking about before. I mean, he was so scatterbrained. He didn't know what he was doing, you know what I mean? And, and so, but Apparently, I'm gonna have to start going trout fishing on April Fool's Day every year. Like that's gonna be the ritual because apparently it's producing 30 10 pound fish class, or 10 pound class fish, right? So, right. That's crazy, man. Dude, I mean, the wheel well in understanding the girth of those fish, man. I mean, that's the that's the crazy part. So, what what was the actual the the inner diameter of the of the wheel well? 13 inch. 13 it inches was. what what the diameter of the rim was. I mean, mm-hmm. she just man, when she flattened out with that big belly, man, it 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 ate up a lot of that that rim. I don't remember there being much. Remember I tried to take pictures of her. Uh I cut the back running light on and you know, back in those days we, we didn't have the the cell phone cameras and stuff like that. And carried I always carried a little thirty five millimeter throwaway camera with me and yes, the, one, the one i didn't have the one i had did not have a flash on it so there wasn't enough light to to gather an image but i tried all i could to <laughs> take a picture of it but that was that's the biggest trout i've ever caught uh, and we just, talked about that too right i mean like can you imagine because although we didn't catch really like big big fish you know, like a target now, but me and my dad, man, right. we, we catch the heck out of some trout and, in pictures that I wish we would have taken, but it was mm-hmm. such a pain in the butt to, right. to pull out, you know, those, those, uh, cameras, you know, and can you imagine like all those fish that you caught those big fish in the heyday and big lake, like, and having a cell phone at your disposal, taking it, I'd have had a lot pictures. of nice pictures. <laughs> Where you can yeah. edit them and, and and see what you're do what you're actually taking a picture of. It'd be absurd. It'd be oh, yeah. completely absurd. 
that was the dawn of the internet, right? I mean, for the most part, I remember the that was in two thousand and three, is what you said. Oh, so, oh, two is oh two is whenever whenever I'd caught mine. It was April first, okay. oh two. You didn't you didn't have the technology? I mean, you were just starting to get to where you had um, cameras, digital cameras, you know, <laughs> where you could take fill up a memory card versus yeah. only having. 24 exposures that you could take. Yeah, I'm with you. We used to, I mean, I used to go, if that was 03 or 2002, 03, because I graduated from LSU in 05, I remember going to uh, wadefishing.com and Glenn Rector, Jesse Arsolo, like all these different guys uh, back in the day, man, posting these giant pictures of Baffin Trout or East Matagorda Trout and you know, fish mm-hmm. up and down the Texas coast. And I just remember marveling and like these enormous fish. So I can't even, and I mean, these are like, I'm fishing it now and I still think it's a pretty solid big trout fishery. I mean, citation numbers are super high compared to every other fishery we got, but I can't even imagine it back in the day. I mean, I, I know it's probably the same there in big lake too, you know, where you've seen such a decline. I wouldn't, yeah, maybe a decline, right. In terms of oh, like the numbers fish oh man the decline you know and and it's sad you know what the fishery is now uh compared to to what it was in the heyday i was talking to an old texas buddy of mine i used to fish with and we had a trip one day and it's one of these that just you know it sounds like a fish story but it's not a fish story you know, five of us weighed in a flat, and I'm pretty sure we caught 100 trout over five pounds that day, uh, catching them on corkies and super spooks. Totally you know, ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I mean, like you would get mad at catching five and six-pound trout because you knew there were bigger ones out there. Yeah. And I don't know how many – I know I personally that day I had 30-some-odd fish. Four of them were under five pounds. Uh I think I had four of them over eight, uh, seven or eight more over seven, and the rest were fives and sixes. And, you know, I, I think about a day like that, and I haven't caught that many big fish in the last the last uh, four years is what I yeah. caught in that one day, you know? <laughs> I mean, that, just, I mean it, it dredging, is it just a – hydrology the changes in hydrology there big lake and kind of those complexes or what because sabine too right i mean it's it's on the decline the only reason sabine's on the decline is because of all the fresh water uh big lake i you know we had a hard a hard uh freeze several years back and i think it hurt the fishery is what i think happened uh i mean the numbers were down already but I think that that was that drove one of the the nails in the coffin because we haven't seen them since. Not in any numbers. I mean, somebody's somebody's going to go stumble over a seven or eight pounder here and there. But you talk to some of the the people, myself and several others, like Mr. Bruce, Nicky uh, Mary Poe. I mean, uh, Jeff Poe and Miss Mary Poe. You know, yeah, I'm I sure mean, they they've moved their guide business, right? I mean, they're no longer yeah. charged Big Lake. Right, they went to, to Alabama. Yeah, thirty four years. I talked to them at the, actually the Mobile Boat Show, and thirty four years got in Big Lake, 
and mm-hmm. uh, up and move because it just doesn't have the the productivity that it once had. That's a scary man. It's sad. I mean, there's still some numbers to be caught, but you know, with there's so much that's going on. You got so much erosions taking place. Uh, the oyster, a lot of your good reefs that you had got demolished when they let them do the oyster dredging, uh, which, you know, it's going to take a long time for that to rebuild, to rebuild itself. The water quality isn't like it used to be because you don't have all that. Um, and with the erosion, uh, you build up a lot, you got a lot more current and stuff running through there. And, you know, yeah. the, I'd imagine that's probably tough for the oysters to, to reestablish because they get covered in silt or things, things of that nature. But the, the big fish are definitely, you know, they're definitely not like they, they used to be, you know? Yeah. Well, so I went to, I moved to Florida and we're getting close on time. Um, Mr. Steve. So I, I, I'm a, I'll keep it brief, man. Cause I do want to wrap up the show here in a sec, but when mm-hmm. I moved to Florida, their fishing the Indian River Lagoon actually just recently in 2016. That year in 2016, it had a re- a remarkable fish kill up and down Banana River. I mean, I mean the shorelines. Even when I got there, I mean it still stunk. It, mm-hmm. You know there were this this wasn't just isolated. This was like up and down the Indian River, and is because of the discharge from the C fifty four from Lake Okeechobee. And so I mean you've probably heard about that and captains for clean water getting involved in this, that, and the other thing. But mm-hmm. I, I bring that up because even though that was such a devastating event and it, and it wiped out a lot of fish, a lot of bait fish, a lot of snook, a lot of trout reds. I mean, you saw if it was in the water column, it was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, stingrays, da, 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 puffer fish. And so, but Fishing it from 16 to 17 and 17 to 18 before I moved out, it, it did actually get better year after year. And and I say that because the water clarity got really clean. Um, we didn't have, like, there were some environmental factors, like it didn't get really cold. Um, they didn't have, like, a lot of rain. So there wasn't a lot of fertilizer running off from, like, golf courses and, and all these different things. And so my point is, is that, with the um, mother nature is freaking resilient, man. And mm-hmm. so if, if I guess my point is like, if we can do what we can do with just taking what you need, release and arrest, having a more conservation mindset, and we give mother nature a chance in terms of, uh, you know, engineers kind of doing their thing or, or, or groups getting involved with taking care of the water quality there at Big Lake. Mm-hmm. Man, that, that trophy trout fishery will come back, you know, and, and it will be, and it will come back to its heyday because just in the two short years, seeing devastation to then actually catching fish over 28 inches, you know, right there and seeing big pushes of some really world, I mean, beautiful fish, Dr. Right. Wright catching. It's just, my point is it's pretty resilient. We just got to give her a chance, you know? So it, I, I say that because it's not doomsday it's just hey we need to be aware of what's going on and then we also need to understand that it, it can come back we just got to do our little part so right it, but my th- and my thing you know i'm I'm still gonna get up and go you know on those days i, I feel that a big fish is gonna bite you know i'm still gonna go and take a swing at them uh yep 
But the, the one thing that kind of disturbs me a little bit is when you see, you know, just kind of solidify that we are in trouble on the big fish is when you see the, the star tournament results. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you see a six and a half pound trout win the star tournament for the state of Louisiana, that's that crazy. That's, that should, that should show, I mean, that, that speaks volumes in itself because I mean, that used to shoot, you better have was, a solid nine pounder or something to even be considered. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy, man. But I mean, look, Hey, we, we realize it and it's, it's across estuaries in the Carolinas with the gill netters, you know, here with croaker fishermen and this, that, and the other thing. And I mean, look, it just, everything is kind of part of it. Right. And so the encouragement is like for folks listening, hopefully they're still listening is like, dude, just do your part. Like understand kind of your impact to a fishery or understand the environmental impact to a fishery. And if you know that like, Hey, in Sabine, we're having a, we're having a ton of fresh water coming through this estuary when a fishing does pick up, don't just wreck shop. You know what I'm saying? Like try to be mindful of like, Hey, let's give this fishery and estuary a chance to rebound, you know? And so anyway, I, though we could spend another hour, hour and a half talking about that. <laughs> let's yeah. not do that. And not, not only that, I don't want to leave the show man on a sour note because no. we realize, man, there, there's some definitely things that are going on throughout our fisheries. And that's kind of where we're trying to get, kind of get involved in terms of not the, you know, from an, an erosion perspective or, or things of that nature, but from an angling mindset perspective, like, dude, just take what you need and release the rest. If we do oh, that yeah. little part, everything else will kind of take care of itself when the conditions are right, because we've given it a chance. But anyway, I don't so even, all right, don't even carry you, with me. <laughs> I know, man. But so you alluded to, I want to ask you the last, last question. So you alluded to it and you said it like multiple times. Mm-hmm. Is like the head and top water one knocker super spooks? Is that is that your trout fishing lure? I like to, for for uh, a big fish. Yeah, I got a top water bait tied on. It's gonna be either a super spook or a one knocker most of the time. Probably, probably about ninety percent. Um, other than that, catch mirror lure, catch two thousands. And the corkies, uh, the yeah. fat boys in particular. Uh, yeah, what color? Done, done what black, black, black. Okay, solid black has been, I would say, out of all the big uh, nine plus pound trout that I've caught, and a, a good handful of eight pounders. A lot of them came off of a, either a black FLW Super Spook or a Black Catch Two Thousand damn uh, those the, those two baits right there have done well for me um then recently like in the last i'd say in the last six or seven years the pink and gold has been a real good color that clown clown color yep. super spook those have done me real real good um on the on the fat boy i would say Pearl chartreuse, um, and then that old gold gold glitter side with a chartreuse back and a white belly, yeah, and, and a black black back, gold side, orange belly. Those those fat those color fat boys have been really good for me. Also, gotcha. 
That's cool. Yeah. So the talking about the pink and uh in gold, one knocker, that's actually what my buddy caught that thirty one and ten on uh right. on April fourth. But man alive, yeah, such good colors. Such good colors. Yeah, it's, you know, talking about black real quick. Uh my biggest fish in Mississippi that I had hooked, the biggest fish in Mississippi I had was a little over eight pounds. I caught her mm-hmm. actually on a, on a green hornet matrix shad, but mm-hmm. the biggest one I know kidding I had hooked and, and I caught more fish, big fish on a, in a coast of Mississippi is, I don't even know the, like the actual name of the color, but it's the mirror lore 17 MR sea eyes, straight black, with the white bones, and I called it Skeletor. Yep. Uh, because it, it was man alive, wade fishing at night. I put a little feathered treble on the back. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. That thing would outperform anything else I had actually in my box, man. I mean, it was just something about that little bait and that color. It would just wreck shop. So <laughs> I'm a fan of black for sure. I just you know, in terms of fishing it during the daytime, it's something I haven't necessarily put a lot of stock in, you know. I've, I've caught them in every condition, clear water, dirty water, rough water, calm water. I've caught them everything on that black bait. And yeah. what you what you were saying about that feather tail, that's one thing I do to all my Catch 2000s is I put feather tails on every one of them. And I don't know if it, I don't know if it really makes that big a difference, but you know, whatever you have, when you when you're trying to catch a big fish, whatever you have confidence in, yep. I'd say is is go to it. You know, I mean that well, feather tail gives me a lot of confidence for some reason. Well, in the where I was fishing in Mississippi, I mean we had obviously some tide and tidal influence, but I felt like that thing would sink just perfectly. And if you look at a at a 17 MR when it does sink, it sinks with its tail down, mm-hmm. and when you when you throw that feathered treble on there, there's a lot of drag and resistance from the feather, right? When it expands, that pretty right. much it slows now the back end of that bait. And so now you get more of a horizontal descent as it's coming through the column and it slows the descent, you know, because right. it's got to get drag. Kind of more drag. And dude, so, and it, and, it, and, it, and it gives more profile to the actual bait because you're extending the profile of the actual lure itself. It, it looks like a tail. It looks, even though it's a little 17 MR, you've just put like another inch on that bait. So, right. um, I, I don't know, man, there's just so many things with regards to that. And it's probably more so my brain than anything, but it worked and it mm-hmm. worked well. And a lot of big fish. Another, so. another little, another little thing I'll do with those catch 2000s is, you know, they've got number four treble hooks on the front and the back mm-hmm. is I'll take the, the front hook, I'll usually replace that with a number two, like one that would come on a super spook or a, or a top dog or whatever. Uh, I'll put a number two on the on the on the bottom of it. That little bit of weight, I mean, it don't seem like much, but that little tiny bit of weight gives it a little bit faster fall. Mm-hmm. You know, you can work the bait a little bit faster, and then and then it's paired up with a with one of the uh, feather tails, which the uncle of mine I spoke of earlier that got me into wade fishing years ago had moved to Colorado and I sent him last time he was down, I sent him home with a, a bunch of stuff. I went and bought at Hobby Lobby and uh, a couple boxes of treble hooks and he, he got into fly fishing and fly tying. So he had fun and tied me a whole bunch of feather tails to 
and put on baits. (laughs) That's really cool. Well, hey, Mr. Steve, it's time. We got to wrap this puppy up. Well, I sure enjoyed the the invite to come on your podcast and and talk trout fishing. Yeah, it's cool because we're going to have Jeff and Mary Poe uh, on a podcast, uh, probably for season two. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to get Mary on here. I talked to her, uh, as one is again, the first female guide in the state of Louisiana, kind of listening to her and the stories that she has. And as a pioneer kind of for women in our industry, especially in the, in the state of Louisiana, I think that's super important for her to tell her story and understanding, obviously they're from your backyard. And so, but when, man, when we were swapping stories and, and you were sharing those pictures and, I'm like, dude, we, this makes too much sense, man. And then when you still told me the story of the tire 10 and then <laughs> Jake Ellender, I'm like, shit, man, we, we definitely, <laughs> definitely got to do it, man. But I really appreciate you being on a podcast today. I, I really do, Steve. Oh man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. For everybody else. Hey, thanks so much for, for staying tuned and, and, and sticking with us throughout the entire podcast. We really appreciate it. Again, I want to thank uh, Mirror Lore, Texas Custom Lures, and the original Custom Corky. Without them, Mr. Eric, Mr. Lowell, without their su- oh Mossy Oak Fishing, God, I can't, I can't believe I forgot them. Without their support, none of this is possible. So, I just want to say thanks to them. If you can, uh, when you're out there, please support them, especially kind of during this time of crisis with the pandemic and all these things going on. And so. Uh, We really appreciate, or they'll really appreciate your support. We really appreciate their support for letting us uh, do this podcast and bringing you content. So anyway, so until next time, guys, tight lines, God bless. And always remember, take what you need and release the rest. God bless. (music)